Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. And as you can tell, listen to that. That's a new marker. How many guys actually listen to the new marker? Were you paying attention to what I said? Never mind. Right, that, and we are at number 12. That's right, Chris. It is Scientology. And what's the tagline for our study? It's a mixture of science fiction and the occult is really what's going on with this. Now, and of course, we've been dealing with the history of Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard, mixture of the occult. Crowley and Parsons started this book called Dianetics that really started with a trip that he had. Woo! to the dentist, remember that? <laughs> and uh, it was turned into the book Dianetics. He made up a bunch of stuff, basically, and he turned it into a religion, Scientology. He did that to help grab control because nobody is going to take this cash cow away from me. And to further grab control, he developed basically their version of a military force with the Guardian's Office, the Rehabilitation Workforce, which is basically a gulags to punish people. We saw that more. And the Sea Org, kind of like their clergy, their elite uh, class. Then, of course, the big thing, Hubbard died. So, Scientology went over. No, even before he died, some young whippersnapper, that's right, named David Miscavige, began to take over even before Hubbard passed away. We saw that it was a hostile takeover, and he's become the new face of Scientology. But as we've been seeing, he is not just abusive and threatening uh, and physically uh, threatening, but if anybody gets in, uh, uh, on his bad side, he takes them to the hole. Remember that? And that whole place really exists, and that's just one of them. They're all over the place. More of these camps, right, for people to be. And we're going to see that again tonight. Now, we're going to continue on dealing with Mr. Miscavige, but once again, we have a theme passage for tonight, and that is in, open your Bibles, to John chapter 8. We've been here several times, but we're going to bring on another aspect of what do you get from false teachers, right? What kind of characteristics? Well, false teachings are lies, and who's the father of lies? Satan is, right? And we're going to see that passage again in John chapter 8, okay? And uh, we'll certainly see that Scientology has been built on nothing but a pack of lies and a bunch of stories made up, okay, mixed with the occult, okay? But we're going to focus on the other aspect of people who lie, where do those lies come from, but also people who do not belong to God, but who belong to their father, the devil, right? Anybody uh, that's uh, proclaiming lies, and uh, what other aspect can you expect from these people? And that fits the theme of what we're going to see tonight with Mr. Miscavige, unfortunately. But John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own accord, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the who? The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you don't believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, then why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. In fact, you know what? The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. Isn't that awesome? And yet you have people in the church that say, oh, you, you shouldn't say anything. You, you just need to be not. <laughs> Jesus, man, he just calls it on the carpet. Here it is, man. Here's cut to the chase. I'm not going to pamper this thing. You're wrong. You don't belong to God. Just, just called it the way it was. I love that. But what he's talking about here is people who don't belong to God really belong to who? The devil. Now, we saw two aspects. We've seen this passage certainly many times in our world religions, cults, and occult, because anything that's outside of Christianity is built on a what? Lies. And who's the father of all liars? Satan is. Now, it, tucked away in there, as we've seen before, there's also another aspect of Satan, his core, right? He's not just a liar, but he's what? He is a murderer, right? And certainly that manifested itself in the context of what Jesus was calling these people out, what they want to do with him. They don't want to hear the truth, right? They, 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 they said he did all these wrong things, but they, they said, you can't prove me of nothing. I'm sin. I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing but tell you the truth. Yet you want to what? You want to kill me, just like your father, Satan. So false teachers, Satan, who's behind all false teachings, you can expect that they're going to be liars. You can expect what? They're going to have a murderous behavior, and sometimes, frankly, murder, because they're trying to cover up their lies, right, and things of that nature. Unfortunately, believe it or not, that's the theme we're going to see now tonight with Mr. Miscavige. There's a lot of, even with L. Ron Hubbard, but certainly Mr. Miscavige, a lot of people who went missing and mysteriously died. Right? And, uh, you know, you've heard the stories of, uh, what was that? The people who are close to the Clintons are like 800% more likely to die or something. Have you seen that statistic? It's like, whoa, right? Well, people who get close to Mr. Miscavige, eventually you end up in a hole or you disappear. 
Now, one of the people, you might think that's pretty wild, one of the people that has disappeared and is still missing to this day is his wife, Shelly, right? And that's a big issue. Uh, and this is a, a picture you can see of him and her, Shelly Miscavige, right? And, uh, but uh, she has not been seen uh, since August of 2007. So it's been over a decade his wife is missing, okay? Here's a picture of her with Leah Remini, probably one of the latest ones, right? And we'll get to her involvement here in just a second. But that's his wife, and she is missing. Now, let me give you a little background, right? Remember, what's the theme? Liar, murderer, right? I'll get you a background of this. Uh, Shelly Miscavige, Michelle Shelly, obviously her nickname. She too was a member of the Sea Org. Remember that? Remember he joined when he was young, like 12 years old or something like that over here. The elite force, their clergy, if you will, their army. Uh, from the age of 12, she was in the same thing. So he was, she was the Commodore's Messenger Organization, the CMO. That's that Sea Org group. And these people, the Commodore Messengers group, they weren't just the Sea Org, but this elite group, they were responsible for, quote, personally servicing Scientology found, founder, guess who? L. Ron Hubbard. So not only was David Miscavige a personal assistant, and then, of course, he took over, even before he died, L. Ron Hubbard, so was Michelle Shelley Miscavige, okay, uh, as well. So she was right there with him, okay? Well, uh, she was described back then as a quiet, petite, uh, younger than most other messengers. One of her shipmates said that she was a sweet, innocent thing, quote, thrown into chaos. So at the age of 21, she marries David Miscavige, who at that time was the age of 22. So basically, so they're in the inner core. She's right there. She eventually marries David Miscavige in the midst of him basically doing the hostile takeover. Right? But she's right there in the thick of it. Right? She joined him as the COB. The COB is their, uh, the position that he holds, the highest position, uh, chairman of the board. Uh, David Miscavige is what he has. And so she became his, basically, the assistant to the COB. Well, basically her husband at that point, as a young 20-something. Okay? She was closely involved in Scientology's liaison uh, with the events surrounding, guess who? Tom Cruise. Okay, now listen to what she did. She not only was making business decisions, the decisions with her husband behind the scenes for Scientology, she was the big one taking care of the, quote, needs of Tom Cruise. We haven't even got into that whole Hollywood aspect yet. But let me tell you about some things that she did for him, right? Uh, when Cruise started a three-year relationship with Penelope Cruise, you remember, remember that? Uh, Miss, it was Shelly Miscavige who supervised Cruise's right? Because she had to be tested. Is she going to be worthy of a relationship with Tom? Uh, she supervised Cruz's auditing, the pop can thing, right? And helped her through the Scientology's purification rundown program. So it was her that was screening Penelope, right? Then at the end of that relationship, the Cruz-Penelope uh, 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 relationship there, Shelly Miscavige also, listen, led a Scientology program to find a new girlfriend for Tom Cruise, Right? So that's how much that uh, they have him on a, a big pedestal, right? And they need him because, frankly, he's, he's one of their big elites. And, you know, people in Hollywood, and people look up to Hollywood idols, right? Even today, secular, even, non, even Christians, as wild as that is. They, oh, look at right? Well, they, they don't want to lose Tom Cruise because he's one of the big guys sticking with him, right? A lot of people are defecting, but he's, woo. So whatever Tom wants, Tom gets, apparently. Right? As we saw before, I can't prove this, uh, uh, but as we saw, that we do know that they've recorded his pop can sessions. So maybe another reason why uh, Mr. Tom Cruise doesn't want to leave is because he can't leave. Because maybe he unfortunately said something and they got the recording. Right? But who knows? So we'll see. But anyway, so Shelly Miscavige, after that relationship with uh, Penelope Cruise ended, listen to what they did. They went to find Tom Cruise, a new girlfriend, and which led to him actually mating, uh, marrying Katie Holmes. Right? It was Shelly Miscavige who did that. But listen to what they did. They, <clears throat> she invited around 100 young Scientologist actresses, right? So it wasn't just actresses. You had to be in a Scientologist. Okay. Uh, and they were interviewed, but they were not told why, right? Just come on in. Uh, and what they thought they were being invited for this interview was an audition for a role in the forthcoming Mission Impossible film. But it wasn't. She was grilling them to be Tom's future wife, right? So guess who won? Katie Holmes. So that's how that whole day. So this is Shelly. This is this lady that's missing. 
This is, she wasn't just some fly by night. She wasn't just a wife that sat in the, and knitted and wasn't engaged. She was right there through the thick and thin of things, right? So that, that's her. She's disappeared, right? Now, also, uh, just to give you another idea, uh, when it comes to Tom Cruise, whatever he wants, <clears throat> uh, Miscavige also, Shelley, oversaw a project to use Scientology members and contractors to renovate Tom Cruise's nine-bedroom mansion in Beverly Hills. As we saw before, they got a lot of free labor, and frankly, it's slave labor, right? So if he wanted something done to his house, bring in the slave labor from Scientology. All those people in that rehabilitation workforce, all those people who are in the hole or in all some other camp for bad behavior or need to be reprogrammed, they come over and they're doing that. So that's some of the other things. So she's in that thing. But the problem is she has been missing ever since, again, 2007, 2007. Right now, uh, one report, and this comes from that guy Mike Render. Remember, we saw the video of him last time. Mike Render uh, was uh, the chief spokesman before he defected. And I don't say defected before he got out, rightly so, of uh, the cold. Uh, but they look at it as a defection. But Mike Render, he was the chief spokesman for Scientology. Now he he gives us a little clue what went down. Why is she missing? And he said in 2006, uh, Shelley uh, came up to him. Right, because uh, David Miscavige, he went, uh, left their international Scientology base, and then on a trip, and then when he came back, Shelley asked Mike, uh, was said to have quote, she visibly changed when he came back after he was gone, and then he came back, and her mood looked cowed, okay, and she asked Mike if her husband David was still wearing his wedding ring, and shortly afterwards in uh, June that year, this is still in 2006. Okay, she's not making any appearances in public. So she may have even disappeared even earlier. So, so that might be a clue that maybe on this other trip he decided, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Maybe he found somebody else. I don't know. There's some other theories that go along with that, but that's from Mike Render, the guy that we saw the video last week. Uh, but also, here's where the big thing, and this actually around Shelly Miscavige, as you can see here, this was the big tip-off as to what caused Leah Remini to leave Scientology. It was around this missing person of Shelley Miscavige, right? So because, and what uh, uh, the, the Tom and Katie Holmes, they got married, right? It was called the Wedding of the Century for Scientology, right? In November 2006, right? Well, Leah Remini, she left Scientology, right? After, when she went to that wedding, she just asked the simple question, hey, where's Shelley? Why? Because who do you think was the one behind all this? Who's, who's the one right there in the, who found him? Katie in the first place. You know, before it was Penelope and all, who found him? The wife, right? It's right. So she just simply asked, where's she at? She's already been not in public for, for a while now. And then now she's not at this wedding, the biggest wedding ever. And she's in the, right? So she said, when she asked that question, quote, an unbelievable torrent of attack was put upon her just for asking why Shelly was not present at this wedding, Right? And by the way, still to this day, Scientology will not comment on Shelley's disappearance. So this is really, really crazy. And so basically, so Leah Remini, that, because of that event, she says, that's it, I'm out of here, something freaky's going on. Then she, her eyes, uh, uh, as far as I understand, begin to get open, and of course now she's come up with her big expose. But it was this event of Shelley Miscavige being missing, and it all came to a head over this wedding. Okay, now she actually filed a report with the LAPD for missing persons, right? But even that, she got the runaround. But here's an interview of her sharing uh, why she left and uh, how even to this day, nobody still knows what happened to Shelley Miscavige. Let's take a look. Let's get to this point where you're in the church, uh, you were raised in the church from a very early age, your whole family's in the church, and then there was an incident that bothered you that started, I think you had questions before, but in 2006, you go to a big wedding, big celebrity uh, wedding mm -hmm. of uh, Tom Cruise to Katie Holmes, mm -hmm. the wedding. And you were friends with uh, the wife of kind of, uh, what is he called? This, the chairman of the board yes. of Scientology, yes. David, uh, is it? Miscavige. Mm -hmm. David Miscavige is, is the big cheese of Scientology. And you're friends with his wife. And you see that his wife isn't there. Right. And you asked, her name is Shelly, where's Shelly? Right. This, there's this big wedding. Where's Shelly and what happened? Well, I asked innocently, um, you know, where's Shelly? Because I thought it was odd. It was being, uh, they were calling it the wedding of the century, the, mm -hmm. the church. 
And I said, well, where's Shelley Miscavige? And with that was a reaction of, you know, people just scattering. They didn't want to have any part of this. Um, so people around you, like, got out of there? Literally just, like, scattered. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. Um, and, and I had gone to the, to the church, and I, I asked the, the spokesperson at the time, Tom Davis, uh, where is Shelley? I think it's weird that she's not here. And he said, you don't have the rank to be asking about the leader's wife. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I did have the rank to ask where a human being was. Right. Um, and she's your friend. Of, You're just saying... Well, uh, I, I, you know, you, we're saying friends, and, and the church is saying, you know, that we weren't friends. For, it was. It, it is not usual for a parishioner like me, even though I was considered a celebrity in my church, mm -hmm. to be kind of mingling with the upper echelon of exe senior executives of the church, but we were friendly. Um, for, for many years, we exchanged cards, we exchanged gifts on the holidays. She always wrote a thank you note. Mm -hmm. So it was suspicious that all of a sudden it was just radio silence. And so I felt I did have the right to ask where a human being was. Um, but there's ranks in, in, in the organization. And, and since then, uh, do you know where, where Shelley Miscavige is now? I do not. Um, I filed a police report. Um, I, I did not receive an actual, uh, uh, the, the person who was in charge of the, of the case said that it was um, classified, which is not usual, um, that they couldn't give me any information other than she was fine. I, I needed proof. I mm -hmm. wanted to know who, who uh, spoke to her. Was mm -hmm. she alone? Was she okay? Was, are you sure? I, was she, were you talking to a representative of her? Um, so I didn't get those specifics. I didn't get Interesting. That's odd. I wonder if there was a Scientology connection to the LAPD. Or somebody got paid off. Or somebody's got some dirt on somebody and they ain't ever going to expose what's going on. Or all that. Right? But still to this day, it's been over a decade, nobody has seen Shelly. So obviously people are saying, uh, it, was she sent away to one of these camps? Uh, was she taken out? You know, nobody knows, and it's just weird. It's just you're, you're missing persons and a missing persons report, and still there's apparently no obligation of Scientology to show proof where she's at. That's very, very fishy. But that also, says, I would say, tells you how much of a control these people have over authorities and governments and things of that nature as well. Uh, a, a 2000 report, though, did surface um, saying that another possibility as to why she has disappeared, maybe it could be he didn't want her or his wife anymore, whatever, <clears throat> but uh, maybe it was because she was making, quote, executive decisions without consulting her husband, David. No one on his behavior, do you think he would like that? No, right? And that she, quote, botched a corporate, a corporate reorganization project and, quote, clashed with her husband before being sent away. Again, they will not comment on her location today, Scientology. Uh, and again, uh, two uh, uh, UK newspapers were informed by, because everybody's trying to figure out where's Shelly, where's Shelly, where's Shelly. Uh, this is back in 2012. All they can get out of them was, quote, uh, that Shelly Miscavige, she is not missing and, and she, the reason why you don't see her is because she's devoting her time to the work of the Church of Scientology. That's it. Now, if any of you and I were being charged of possibly uh, missing persons, and if that's all we said, no, they're fine. They're just busy eating potato salad. Uh, do, do you th what would happen to the rest of us? <laughs> Let's take a ride, buddy. Right? But how come these people get away with it? What's the track record? I think they got something on somebody. Somebody's being paid off. Intimidation threats the whole nine yards, right? Uh, so there's that. Now, listen to this, though. This is, this is wow. According to a guy named Noriyuki Matsumuru, he worked for David Miscavige as a finance officer. So not only, hey, don't worry. She's not missing. She's devoting her time to the work of Church of Scientology. That's one excuse. Uh, but this other guy said, quote, <clears throat> speaking of David Miscavige, he sent her a sweater and gloves for Christmas one year. <laughs> that's actually in print. You're like, well, are you serious? Right? Now, that's just Michelle Miscavige. Now, what's the theme? Liars and what? Murders. Now, believe it or not, a lot of people don't realize is that Shelley's mom, Flo, Flo Barnett, Okay, she was a longtime Scientologist. She, I believe, was murdered, right? And let me show you with that proof. A lot of people believe as well. So, and people are going, who took out her mom, right? Uh, this was back in 1985. Now, Hubbard died in when? 1986, I believe it was. So it was just before his death. But guess who, as we trace the trail, who was already doing the hostile takeover long before the death? 
So this is right at the eclipse point when David Miscavige is taking over. Remember, he's gutting everything else. Well, here comes Flo uh, Barnett. This is Shelley's mom, right? And listen, quote, <clears throat> Flo Barnett was found dead from three rifle shots to the chest and a fatal wound to the head. But the death was ruled a suicide. Yeah. Uh, one guy put it this way. If there's one Scientology case that deserves a dedicated series on Leah Remini's show, it's the mysterious suicide of Flo Barnett, Shelley's mom, uh, which would be David's mother-in-law, right? And uh, so it goes on. Uh, but basically they say, well, why, what happened to her? Why did she commit suicide? I don't think it was suicide. She was murdered, in my opinion. Uh, well, they, uh, they suggest that it was because somebody, quote, wanted her dead. And this has come out in the court. Court cases, high-ranking Scientologists have come out. One is an executive, Vicki uh, Asneron. She testified that Flo, Shelley's mom, had become a part of a splinter group. Okay, at the Miscavige leadership. They didn't want him as the leader. Remember, that's what was going on right before the death. Right before the death of Hubbard, right? There was people who didn't want him to take over, and he was taken over, right? So what did he do? Remember, he took Hubbard's wife and just booted her out, and then he gutted the, the place and whatever. Well, Flo, the mother, his mother-in-law, went with the splinter group. And people think, well, that's why Flo committed suicide, right, with that. Again, what's the theme? They not only lie, they murder Right, to protect their lives, okay? Uh, and it's been, uh, and she also testified that she witnessed David Miscavige's personal comment on his mother-in-law's death, quote, the blank, I can't obviously repeat the word, got what she deserved. Okay, uh, another church executive, I even hesitate using that word, that's our word, Scientology executive, Robert uh, Von Young, uh, he in court uh, pointing out the irregularities of the death. He says, what authorities didn't know was that she didn't just die, and the way that she died was that she had left Scientology and was associating with what they called apostates, and this angered her son-in-law, David Miscavige, right? And he says he wants pe they want people to look at this again because he said, quote, this case would help give us clues not only to Flo's death, but the disappearance of her daughter, Shelley, and her possible death. Is she even still alive? as well as other people that have missed, uh, gone missing. But again, he says, the idea that she would commit suicide by gunshot on the head after three gunshots to the chest is absurd, right? And uh, so, but basically that's the issue. Who, who killed her, you know, again, don't know, but it looks really suspicious. But, but I will say that, uh, listen to this, uh, basically they talked about uh, a family member coming to see her body, right? And, uh, or, and with the report, and basically they were saying, uh, this is uh, utterly ridiculous. Uh, but again, so it's like, how, who, how could somebody doing the autopsy with a straight face say that that was a suicide? They, they know that the three shots, the report is that the, the shots occurred first in the chest. How do you take three rifle shots to the chest and then you're still able to shoot yourself in the head with a rifle. Exactly. So whatever. Now, here's another strange fact about that. Shelley Miscavige's mother was murdered uh, the year before Hubbard died. And again, a lot of people think that he was just clearing the way. Nobody, including his mother-in-law, was going to get in his way of ascendancy to take the throne. Right? So got, that's your smoking gun there. But also... Shelley's father died the same year that Shelley disappeared. So her family's been taken out, right? Now, this is why his own father, David Miscavige, his own father, his name is Ron, Ron Miscavige, he has come out with a book, okay, about his son, and the title is simply this, Ruthless. Wow. And here you can see a picture of it there. That's his dad. Now, that's another big thing that they're trying to cover up. Uh, his dad has now come out and said, I can't believe what my son has turned into. And that's the title of the book, uh, Ruthless. Okay? He published this in 2016, uh, relatively recent. And in this book uh, is uh, his personal account of life in Scientology. Remember, it was his dad that turned David in, uh, onto Scientology. Remember? He went there, he had asthma, he did the pop can thing, and supposedly that helped him with his asthma. 
And then he just went gangbusters, joined the Sea Org, and went from there. Well, his dad originally thought this was a good thing, right? And uh, so he, he recounts his time in Scientology, the rise of his son to the leadership, because he was right there witnessing the whole thing. And he was also witnessing the changes and the aftermath. Okay, and according to the uh, publisher, Ron Miscavige, he traces David's life from his early years to David's eventual stellar rise and power to Scientology and, quote, his brutal approach to running the organization today. Even to the point, you know, again, is he the one that took out his wife? Is he the one that took out his wife's dad, his father-in-law? Is he the one that's responsible for taking out his mother-in-law? I don't know, but take a look at this from the lips of his own dad, how he, once he got to power, how he even treated his own father. Not good behavior, but let's take a look at that. The Church of Scientology has dealt with many high-profile defectors, including celebrities and former top executives. But what you're about to see is truly unique. The father of the undisputed leader of the church quitting, writing a book, and hauling into public view an all-out war within Scientology's ruling family. I have never met a more competent, a more intelligent, a more tolerant, a more compassionate being. That is how Tom Cruise describes David Miscavige, the unquestioned leader of Scientology, one of the most controversial new religions on the planet. It's a story that affects every Scientologist. Within the church, he is exalted. Well, thank you very much. It's really my pleasure to join you. He holds forth in front of adoring crowds and rubs shoulders with celebrity parishioners such as Cruz, John Travolta, and Kirstie Alley. But among some former members, he is wildly controversial. He uses that power to hurt people. We were hoping to talk to David Miscavige if he's here today. Miscavige is famously press shy. I'm sorry? It's not going to be cool to be set up out here this afternoon. That, His that last live television interview they, nearly they 25 years ago, right here on Nightline. If, if, if I may just interrupt for a moment, you realize there's a little bit of a problem in getting people to talk critically about the Church of Scientology, because quite frankly, they're scared. Oh, no, no, no. But tonight, new claims about the secretive world of Scientology and the man at its center. Let's face it. Scientologists have not been treated like members of other religions, ever. From an unusual source. So you spent 12 years right here on the street? 12 years right here, yeah. Good memories here? Pretty good memories. Ron Miscavige, David Miscavige's father, has left the church and is speaking out for the first time exclusively to ABC News. You have written a whole book about your son, and you've called the book Ruthless. Yeah. It's a pretty damning charge to level against your own child. Ron Miscavige says he's written this book because of a Scientology policy called disconnection, which he says has torn his family and many others apart. I raised him, good or bad, and to come to this, what was this? This is nuts. The church says Ron's book, co-written by a former church member who's now a noted critic of church management, is filled with half-truths and outright lies. This unusual family history and subsequent family feud is set in motion in 1968 when Ron, a father of four, a salesman, and aspiring musician, starts dabbling in Scientology after learning about the new religion founded by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard at a business meeting. There are certain evils in society which definitely should cease, and we are taking some responsibility for them. Ron feels a duty as a parent to introduce his son David to Scientology as well. He hopes that somehow auditing, a sort of counseling that uses a Scientology device called an e-meter, can help nine-year-old David with his asthma. And after his first session... About 45 minutes later, David walks out, smiling, bright. That's what happened. He says, Dad, it's handled. So you're view at the time was that his asthma was cured by by Scientology? Let's put it this way, it mitigated it considerably. I think it was at that moment that he decided he's going to do something with this. So you think that was the key turning point in his whole life? I know it. 
At age 16, David Miscavige joins the Sea Org, the religious order of the church, and develops a close relationship with church founder L. Ron Hubbard. In 1985, Ron moves to California, divorces his wife, and dons the uniform of the Sea Org. And Ron says shortly after coming aboard, he sees that his son has changed. And I saw him, I said, hey, Dave. And he turned to me and he looked at me like, who are you talking to? No words were said, but that glance told me those days were over. I would never, I could never do that as a father to a son. In 1986, David Miscavige announces a seismic event for the church. L. Ron Hubbard has died. The being we knew as L. Ron Hubbard still exists. However, the body he had could no longer serve his purposes. The next year, David officially becomes the head of the church, taking the title chairman of the board. He is now alone at the top. From now on, he will be the star of the church's Olympic-sized celebration. He will lead the church through some of its greatest triumphs, like winning its tax-exempt status. The IRS issued letters recognizing Scientology, and every one of its organizations has fully tax-exempt. The and he will spearhead the charge to bring celebrities into the fold. Were you around when Tom was joining the church? And was it a high priority for your son? It was top priority. Pretty quickly, Ron says he notices his son's sharp-edged new management style. David is backstage, literally tearing me apart verbally for 55 minutes, cursing, yelling, screaming at me. One night at a church event in the late 1980s where Ron is performing, he says David gives him an extended tongue lashing with other people looking on. When he's screaming at you, do you ever think, I changed this guy's diapers? No kidding. Of course I did. Of course I did. And that isn't the only time it happens. Ron's departure exposes deep familial rifts now erupting into public view. I've never met some of my great-grandchildren. I don't even know how many there are. That is terrible, okay? That's why I'm doing this. So we're going to see another motive for why he's writing the book, obviously because of that, you know, basically what Jehovah's Witnesses do, disfellowshipping and Scientology. That's what cults do. Uh, you can't speak to your family. You lose your family the whole nine yards. Uh, there's another motive I'm going to get to in just a second. But if that's how he treats his dad, excuse me, if I ever even raised my voice at my dad, I would be deeply impressed by my dad's belt. <laughs> wow, are you kidding me? And if you're going to do that to your own father, is it a stretch to say, where's your wife? What happened to your father-in-law? What happened to your mother-in-law? Right? But his dad, you're going to see a common thread. A lot of these people are coming out because they finally get exposed to the other side. Remember Colts keep you inside the bubble? You can't go out and you're afraid to death. And if you get in trouble, you go to the hole and all that stuff. Right? Well, in 2012, Ron Miscavige, the dad, he gained access to the full internet via a Kindle. He got a Kindle. And he finally got to get exposed to what? What is really going on in Scientology? So he got access to the, basically the truth, and he left. Then, as soon as that came out that he left, an L.A. Times reporter uh, uh, noted that, that Ron was put under surveillance by Scientology. So he put his dad under surveillance. Was said to have paid two private investigators to watch him around the clock for one and a half years at a cost of $10,000 a week just to spy on his dad 24-7. Now, their surveillance was said to have been because David Miscavige feared that his father would obviously divulge too much about Scientology's activities. Now, here's the other reason why he's doing this book. Not only because his grandkids and his family's been cut off, all that stuff. Here's the other one. At one point during being monitored, investigators called David Miscavige and told them him that they thought his father, because they're watching him, spying on him the whole time, they thought his father was having a heart attack. And they were told by Mr. Miscavige, quote, allegedly, if it, if it was his time to die, let him die and not intervene in any way. About his own dad, right? The incident prompted Ron Miscavige, his dad, to write the book. And according to uh, the journalist, uh, Ruthless was actually originally entitled, tell me his dad wasn't upset. It was originally titled, If He Dies, He Dies in response to his son's response to his dad having a heart attack. 
Wow. But that sounds pretty ruthless, hence the title of the book, okay? And of course, what's the response from Scientology? Oh, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Uh, they stated that uh, all Ron's trying to do, unfortunately, is he's trying to make money off his son's fame. That's what's going on. Uh, they say that this is just really a sad exercise of betrayal. Uh, and they've now set up a website called ronmiscavagebook.com to, you know, so you want to find out what's really going on, you know, whatever. And, of course, what's the common thread? Sue. So, obviously, threatening legal action against this because it, quote, contains malicious, false, misleading, and highly defamatory allegations. So, once again, that common thread. Now, he's not the only family member at least that's still breathing, that has come out against Scientology. Now, another person who's come out against him is David Miscavige's niece, right? And this is Jenna Miscavige Hill. She got remarried, or married. Uh, and uh, she came out with a book there. I don't know if you can see the title, but it's called Beyond Belief, My Secret Life Inside Scientology and My Harrowing Escape. Now, what is interesting about her account is she accounts what happens to kids, because she was one that was in this uh, event. Now, Ron, his dad, obviously introduced him, David, to it, but Ron's experience was from an adult and then watching his son. Well, this is David's niece, okay? Uh, she recounts in this book what she experienced as a kid living in a Scientology camp. It's horrible. Let me just give you a couple of statistics and we'll see from her own words. But she left in 2005 and has become obviously an outspoken critic. Uh, she was a third-generation Scientologist. Again, she's the niece of David Miscavige. Uh, her parents, Elizabeth and Ron Jr., joined the Sea Org when she was two, right? So from then on, she spent the most of her childhood apart from her parents and said she was only allowed to see them uh, uh, just once in a blue moon. You're going to hear that in the testimony, right? So, they, so a, a practice in Scientology is they separate the parents from the kids, right? Unfortunately. Now, at the age of eight, she signed her own billion-dollar contract, or billion-year contract. Remember that? You got to sign up for a billion years with the Sea Org. So she did that, too. She didn't know any better. And uh, she was raised at one of the Sea Org's bases. At the age of six, she moved, was moved to the Cadet Org, which is basically the Sea Org for children, right? And she was placed in a place called the Ranch. That doesn't sound too good. Uh, okay, it's called the Ranch. And at the ranch, she states that in addition to learning word for word, being forced to learn word for word, the works of L. Ron Hubbard, that was their education, right? She was expected to do, this is at the age of six, expected to do heavy manual labor 35 hours a week. And she described her experience from the ages of five to 12, quote, we were also required to write down all transgressions. And after writing them all down, we would receive a meter check and make sure that we weren't hiding anything and you would have to keep on writing until you, quote, came up clean. Man. Then she met her husband. And in 2001, they got married. They got two children. Then here comes their breakthrough. How in the world did she get out? Well, she got access to the real world. In 2004, they were sent to Australia on a Scientology mission where they were able to access, guess what? TV and the internet. Just like the dad, he just got a Kindle, oh, right? And so they got access to the TV and the internet and uh, became aware of what was going on with Scientology. So they decided to leave, but of course, then they were threatened. Her husband, of course, was threatened with disconnection uh, from his family and everybody else and all that stuff. Then they said that the church, uh, Scientology pressured them to sign agreements uh, that would allow Scientology to uh, <clears throat> sue them $10,000 every time they spoke out negatively against Scientology. Why would you sign that document? Which, of course, they didn't. <laughs> you're right. But they said, you're going to sign this. And, you know, but that intimidation. She published her book in 2013, and her, along with others who've come out, uh, who were raised in Scientology, so the, more the ones that are adults now, but were raised as kids, uh, they've got a website called xscientologykids.com. And of course, that's to try to provide information for those seeking answers and trying to get out like she was, right? Uh, she's been interviewed all over the place, different places. Uh, Nightline, Piers Morgan tonight, uh, obviously. And uh, I want to share with you the interview she did with ABC. But listen to what she said, how she grew up. And tell me if this doesn't have capital C, capital U, capital L, T all over it. This is a cult. Watch this. 
Over the years, we've heard a lot about the Church of Scientology. It's high profile, bolstered by Hollywood A-listers. But what goes on behind the walls of this religion isn't always glamorous. The church is led by David Miscavige, a man who usually prefers to stay out of the public eye. But now his niece has shone a bright, unwelcome light upon the church and its behaviour. Jenna Miscavige-Hill spent more than 20 years in the church with her uncle. She told her story to Liz Hayes. There's not an exact criteria for evil, but I would definitely say, you know, somebody who makes rules that thousands and thousands of people can't have children and runs a church where there's child labor, forced and coerced abortions, where people are separated from their family. Um, if that's not evil, then what is, you know? 29-year-old Jenna Miscavige-Hill is talking about the Church of Scientology. Well, thank you very much. Run by her own uncle, David Miscavige. It's just a game of power and control. It, it strips away your individuality and your conscience and just makes you do whatever their bidding is. People are either bad or good. They're either for Scientology or against Scientology. Well, what's the difference between Scientology and a cult? Mm, I don't, I can't think of any. <laughs> For most of her life, Scientology was all Jenna Miscavige Hill had ever known. From childhood, she lived in the inner sanctum of the church. Her parents and grandparents were Scientologists, and it was where she met her husband, Dallas. Churches first. Churches right, before first. family, before friends, especially before yourself. And that became clear, says Jenna, from early childhood. Her parents were part of the clergy, or Sea Org, as they're called. And according to Jenna, spent long periods away from their children. From when I was four, I started only seeing them uh, once a week. Um, and then from when I was 12 until I was 18, I saw my mom twice um, and, you know, and my dad four times. And the majority of those times were for less than an hour. Well, of course, uh, from an outsider's perspective, I I'd be saying, well, why weren't your parents trying to contact you? It's hard, like it's this whole mind control business to see that that was a bad situation. They would have to see their whole world crumbling down. When she was six, Jenna was sent here, to the ranch, a Scientology boarding school just outside of Los Angeles. It was run like a military-type school. Everything we did was very regimented. We did manual labor for 35 hours a week, and it was anything from, like, digging ditches for irrigation to hauling wheelbarrows full of gravel to make cactus gardens, to hauling rocks, to make rock walls, um, to weeding for fire breakers, things like that. 75 million years ago, the galaxy was ruled by a tyrant named Zenu. One day, Zenu rounded up various wrongdoers and imprisoned them in volcanoes on Earth, which was then called this is the world according to church founder L. Ron Hubbard. Hydrogen bombs were dropped on them. Then their spirits, called Thetans, were trapped in humans. And that is the cause of all our sufferings. Only through Scientology can our Thetans be clear. Do you ever think that you might be quite mad? Oh, yes. The one man in the world who never believes he's mad is a madman. Hubbard died in 1986, but his teachings, based seemingly on a mix of science fiction and psychoanalysis, continues today. We had pictures of him in every room, pretty much. You know, we, we had to clap to his picture at the end of every day, several times a day, even. You're not encouraged to have children, are you? Or are you banned from having children? Well, regular Scientologists are allowed to have children, but members of the Sea Org are not allowed to have children. And if you fell pregnant, what would happen? Many people are coerced into having abortions. For those who broke any of the church rules, punishment could take many forms. 
Dallas claims it meant being locked in the basement of this building. We got in trouble and I was in the basement for two weeks and told that if I didn't cooperate, I'd never see Jen again and I'd never see my parents again. The church has categorically denied Dallas's allegations. Having been born and bred a Scientologist and as the niece of David Miscavige, any thoughts of leaving were always going to be a challenge for Jenna. But the idea took seed when the church sent Jenna and Dallas to work in Australia. That was a turning point, you say, for both of you. Yeah. Yes. Why? Because I had never been around non-Scientologists in my life before. So it was an interesting chance to see that, you know, no, not everyone is a Scientologist. Not everyone is in love with Scientology. And they were actually kind of normal and pretty cool. And all of a sudden you could see everything for what it was, how controlled it was. The decision to leave the church caused Dallas and Jenna enormous heartache. They claim they were pressured to stay with threats they would lose all contact with their families. Clearly, it was yeah. a terrible time. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it, there's... Who knows what would have happened? That's the scary thing, is they have so much control and so much mind control over you that you just are at their whim. Including, as you saw, I gave you, I purposely left that clip in there, give you a little teaser of people actually believing millions of years ago, this rebel named Xenu took these people and blew them up in a volcano with hydrogen bombs. They left out the part that their spaceships looked exactly like DC-10 airplanes. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we'll get to that eventually. And then because of that, those are the things that are clinging on to us. And it's only Scientology that can clear us from all... Turn to somebody and go, get it off, get it off. <laughs> Can you, I'm telling you, the guy was a master science fiction writer. He invented a religion. I'm not making that up. We're going to have a whole section just dealing with the origins according to L. Ron Hubbard. Once we ever hit that work. But anyway, but, uh, but you saw there, okay, she's come out against them. They got finally freed from all that stuff. She's exposed it along with the dad, right? And of course, what's Church of Scientology? I hate using that, sorry. Scientology's response? Oh, no, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Again, deny, 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 deny. Now, as we get ready to close just real quick, I don't have time to go into all of them. But again, what's the unfortunate theme? When you don't belong to God, you don't want to listen to the truth. You got your version of the truth that you're trying to hang on to. That's just a pack of lies. What will you do to protect that truth? You'll murder, right? There is a, I don't have time to go into them. You can check it out yourself. There is a ton a ton of murders surrounding Scientology. Again, I opened up with the, the kind of tongue-in-cheek thing. Those who know the Clintons don't fare too well. <laughs> they disappear. They commit suicide, right? Same kind of behavior is going on here, man, uh, except from that. But let me just give you one. One is a guy named uh, Sean Lonsdale. Tell me again if these aren't suspicious. He was speaking out against Scientology. This was in uh, Clearwater, Florida, one of their big headquarters there. And uh, he was, uh, what got him upset was he was videotaping them. You know how they love to go around and videotape every people? Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just videotaping your behavior. Well, he was doing that to them. And he was airing it on a public broadcast system, right, uh, on, on that area, in the area. Uh, then he got a, an interview by the BBC program. Well, apparently that was the watershed moment because then Scientology did what they do. They hired a private investigator to dig into this guy's past. They found that he had two convictions back in 99 and 2000. They were misdemeanors. But they then begin to plaster flyers around the town with this guy's Longdale's mugshot, warning people about him and the whole community. Remember they did that with that other lady in that operation, whatever that was, right? Uh, they, then they called his landlord and his employer and told them that he was a religious bigot and possibly dangerous. And then all of a sudden, not long after, uh, neighbors called the police because there was a terrible odor coming from Longdale's house. And they entered the house and found Lonsdale dead. There was a garden hose leading from his car into his house. And his death was, of course, ruled a suicide. Remember the garden hose exhaust fume method, right? Then, all of a sudden, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's Quentin. Quentin came up dead. Now, Quentin, a lot of people don't know, he was the one that was supposed to be the successor. Now, there was Ron Sr., but then I think he's the one that changed his name to Ronald DeWolf. Didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Well, next in line, you know, according to Hubbard's supposed wishes, was Quentin. Well, here's what happened to Quentin, right? Uh, and this happened here in Vegas. 
he was found dead here in Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas police found a white Pontiac without license plate. A young man was unconscious inside. The engine was still running where there was what? A tube going from the exhaust pipe into the car, right? Uh, he didn't have any identification on him, but they finally did identify his body, and he was Quentin Hubbard. So he was committed suicide. Then there was uh, Teresa Duncan and Jeremy Blake. These were two uh, bloggers and, uh, from New York. They moved to Los Angeles for a period, and apparently they were blogging against Scientology uh, because they were moved to L.A., and obviously right there, Scientology. Right? Then they go back to New York eventually. Well, when they went back to New York, they said they were being terrorized by Scientologists. Right? And then all of a sudden, the woman, they find her body uh, overdosed, on medication, and then they found the guy's body. He, they said, they found him in the ocean where he undressed and walked into the Atlantic Ocean, and his body was found five days later. Just mysteriously decided to do this. Interesting. Uh, the suicides, quote unquote, are still unresolved, and uh, people wonder, well, gee, what happened to him? Another one is a guy named Alexander Jens. He is the son of Heber Jens. Heber Jens. Is, uh, was the president of Scientology. Again, it's not the, that's not the top position. The top position is David Miscavige with the chairman of the board, right? But uh, he and his wife got on the bad side of David Miscavige. Uh, and uh, apparently, uh, David Miscavige forced uh, Heber Jens to divorce his wife, right? Then Mr. Heber Jens was sent to the hole, which people think he's still there uh, to this day. Uh, over the years, uh, obviously, she got uh, remarried. The mom, she took her son, Alexander. He grew up. Well, at 27 years old, they found him uh, uh, in his room, uh, and he didn't get up. And they saw that he was motionless. They discovered him unresponsive. His father-in-law, instead of getting help right away, uh, he decided to notice that the guy, his son-in-law was dead. He drove uh, another child to school, returned home. Then he called 911, where he was taken to the hospital and then announced uh, dead. And uh, he, they said, oh, Scientologists, members of the Scientology church, were told before the coroner had even finished investigating. Well, how would they know? He hadn't done his report yet. They were told that he had died from a reaction to a prescribed painkiller. So again, another drug over. Are you seeing a little pattern of where people commit suicide, right? Uh, now, what's strange is Scientology desperately tried to keep it a secret. And then on top of that, Alexander's wife immediately, because he was 27 at the time he was married, he immediately, his wife had his body cremated quickly, number one. Number two, uh, before anybody, and certainly his mom, wanted to see the body, but it was too late now. Then they weren't even going to do a memorial service for him, but then there was a, an outcry, so they finally gave him uh, a funeral, but his mom was not even allowed to attend. And according to one of Heber's brothers, Heber, the dad, uh, said he thinks he won't ever, his dad, get out of the hole alive. So he's apparently still stuck in that hole. If he's even alive. Now, there's another lady real quick. Her name is Susan Meister, okay, connected with them. Uh, she was involved with the Church of Scientology for a long time. She even went on their ship, the Apollo. And uh, all of a sudden, she just shot herself. So, uh, her dad, he goes to fly out to get her body. Uh, they won't show him the body. They only showed a picture of the body. Uh, and she died, listen, from a gunshot wound to the middle of the forehead. But the picture they gave him showed that uh, not only the, the gunshot wound, but on her chest, the gun was conveniently clutched with both hands, just in a nice, relaxed position like this. Obviously, that's not possible, right? He said that was not possible for his daughter to shoot herself in the middle of the forehead and still hold on to the gun with both hands on her chest. It, so again, there's another account like with flows, three shots in the chest, then you shoot yourself in the head, right? So that there. So basically, uh, he, they're fighting over the body. They won't give her the body. They finally give her the, the, the body. But then basically, uh, he's wanting to take them on because this ain't no suicide. What happened to my daughter? And, uh, but basically, they basically paid the guy off. Right? They settled out of court. Okay? Uh, but they did say, one said, uh, he, well, first of all, he, oh, I'm sorry. This guy, they, they came up to him 
another one I'm getting to, they, they settled out of court. Uh, they, they, the, the Scientology came to him and they said they wanted to make him an offer, okay, uh, in regards to his death. But he, he not only rejected it, he says, listen, if his daughter Susan's death was just a suicide, why are you wanting to make a settlement with me? Right? So that was his. Oh, and then after he rejected the settlement, he and his wife started getting threatening phone calls saying that they were going to, quote, get the same thing their daughter got. Right? And then I closed. There's so much more, but I'll give you one more because this is basically, if you ever want to go to a hotel, don't go to this hotel. Right? This is called the Fort Harrison Hotel. And this is their big hotel down in Florida, Clearwater, Florida, 220 room. Uh, and since it has, they got it, it has witnessed a number of, quote, unusual deaths, right? One of them was a lady named uh, Lisa McPherson. She was a Scientologist for 18 years, right? She was involved in a minor car accident. They took her back to the hotel. She was administered to uh, by a lady named Janice Johnson, who was put in charge of her care, she didn't have a license to practice medicine in Florida. Then, 17 days later, under this lady's care, uh, McPherson's health got even worse. They took her to a hospital that specifically had a Scientologist doctor, even though they skipped over on the way. There are four other hospitals they could have gone to. Uh, when the doctor saw McPherson, she was bruised, looked unkempt, and wasn't breathing. So then they pronounced her dead. There was no obituary or police report. They just quietly buried the body. But 11 days later, the news of this leaked out, and uh, they said that, well, no, McPherson had come to the hotel for rest and relaxation and just suddenly fell ill, uh, which they said that's not possible. Basically, this is the family that sued the church, and they settled out of court and as long as they dropped all charges. So that was that. But that's a ton. That's, that, to give you an idea of how many people die in this hotel, listen, in the span of just one example, in the span of 11 months, 161 phone calls were made to 9-11 from, from that hotel, right? There's at least other, seven other deaths of physically healthy people who stayed in the hotel and they just die. One guy was found in a bathtub full of scalding hot water. Uh, another guy, Roger Nine, he came from Australia, checked into the hotel because he was wanting to talk to them about getting a $70,000 refund. All of a sudden, he was killed in a strange accident. Things that, what's the theme? Satan's not only a liar, he's a murderer, right? When you're involved with something that involves the devil, eventually that will come out, right? And what's baffling about all these deaths is how uncooperative Scientology is with the authorities. Besides trying to keep the deaths quiet, whenever someone calls 911, the police obviously go to the call, and they call all the time from this hotel. You know what their excuse is? Well, the reason why there's so many 911 calls is because these are from our international guests. They're trying to dial 011 to make international calls, and they accidentally push 9. And if you believe that, let me tell you about 75 million years ago, this <laughs> guy named Zenu. <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh. So again, that's their theme. That's our history. It took eight weeks. We got there. Praise God. Slap yourself on the back or do something. There you go. Thank you, Ruth, for being personally involved uh, with that. And, uh, but Lord willing, next time, yes, we are going to be into the workbook. We're going to take a look at, again, just a brief thing about the history, just a little bit. We'll blow through that, Lord willing, famous last words. Uh, then we're going to look at some of their terminology and things of that nature. And then if we get that far, I am sitting on all this stuff, right? I, I purposely left it in there. 75 million. <laughs> we're going to take a look. And I, the only way you can, I'm going to help, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to do, it's going to be a lot of work and video on my part, but I, I want to maximize it because, because the, remember the, the, the account of Mormonism where everybody supposedly came from the planet Kolob? Remember that, right? And then Joseph Smith was supposed to be uh, Jesus. Uh, they're supposed to be spirit brothers. They made Lucifer look like a good guy. And all, remember all that stuff? And it's all just make-believe because that's what Joseph Smith did, who was also involved in the occult, by the way. Remember that? Uh, so the only way you depict that is what? You got to draw a cartoon, right? So I shared that cartoon thing, but that's really what they believe. It sounds like a cartoon, looks like a cartoon, but that's what they believe. We're going to do the same thing with Mr. Zenu here. <laughs> but what I'm going to try to do, because it sounds so absolutely unbelievable, are you kidding me? People, Scientologists today, believe this? How could they fall for this? But I'm going to see if I can piece in the actual audio clips of L. Ron Hubbard. We'll pay, play a little bit of the cartoon and then play him saying from his own mouth that's what he really believes. 
right? So if we can get that far. But let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin, then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. 
He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crown of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.